Open your Bibles, please, to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're continuing our series on making our thinking or our thoughts godly. A week ago, I went to uh, my physical therapist for a checkup on the progress of my shoulder, and uh, he's uh, given me a series of exercises, and he's gradually adding to those that I'm supposed to do certain kind of controlled thing to gradually build my shoulder back up, I guess, and stretch it out. It's kind of a two-way thing there. And uh, this physical therapist is really sharp, um, and he, he said, okay, uh, you, you know, lift your arms up. So I go up like this, you know, and he goes, oh, geez, you know, it's like, you know, why do you even need to be here? And then he said, hold your arms here, and he presses in and hold them there and do this and do that. And he's watching my shoulder like that the whole time. You know, he's just really zeroing in. And after we do all this stuff and everything seems pretty fine, he says, okay, here's what you need to do. He says, you get a three-pound weight like this, and you turn it inward like so, and you lift it out like that. And when I did that, immediately there was a zeroed-in pain right on one single spot. And I thought, how in the world can this guy, from just watching me move my shoulder, know that there's one little spot that's still not stretched out or strengthened, whichever it is. So you do, you do three sets of ten of those every day, or you know, three times a week, or whatever, and and uh, sure enough, you know, there's some strength coming there. If you have a shoulder with one weak tendon, your whole shoulder gets slowed down. The whole thing's got to be working. And the same thing is true about our thoughts in regard to our godliness. If you allow one area, or if you have one area unknowingly that is not godly, it will drag down your Christian life. And one of those areas that I believe is very critical, and many people, especially in their earlier walk with the Lord, get wrong, is how we think about trials. And so I want to go to James chapter 1 today and help you understand what God says we should be thinking when hardship comes into our life. Before I do that, I want to review the studies we've had previously to kind of make sure you're thinking what I'm thinking as we come into today's study. In the first study, we learned that thoughts are spiritual. They're either from heaven or hell. There are no neutral thoughts. We don't get up in the morning and think something that is absent of spiritual content. Now, when I say they're from hell, of course, that's an extreme way to get your attention. But what I mean is that the scripture says Satan inspires the world in which we live and the world in which we live presses on us and we think based on what comes into us. Now, if we're working at living godly, we're working at getting the scripture in enough to stop or to filter those thoughts. But our thoughts are spiritual. They're either from heaven or hell. Thoughts are result in either a worldly life or a godly life. If you think worldly, you will act worldly. And if you think godly, you will act godly. If you want to know if somebody thinks godly, I'm going to oversimplify. You're going to criticize me, but I'll do it anyway. Look at their life. If their life looks godly, unless they're an awful good faker, it's because they're thinking right the starting point of change, according to Romans 12, 2, is to be renewed in your mind. Our minds are sinful as our bodies, and our minds have to become righteous. Number three, thoughts can only be godly when they are intentional. We have to choose to take in God's truth and then develop habits of choosing to think righteously. We will not wake up in the morning with a bent 
toward godliness that automatically causes us to always think the right thing. The more we grow in the Lord, the more of his truth we will have, and then we will clearly see the differences between godly and worldly thinking. And the more we choose godly thinking, then habits of righteous thinking can be built, and it can become, dare I say, somewhat automatic. But it has to be intentional, at least in its inception. In our second study, we learned that we looked at this verse. And this is the basic content that God gives us to think about. And so when we're trying to say, what should be rattling around between my ears, it's summarized in this verse. Whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of a good report, virtuous, praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And that last word, meditate, is a word that's in a command form, which means God is instructing us that we ought and must choose to think on these kinds of issues, not on things that would be the opposite. And of course, the the prime way to develop those kind of thoughts is through God's Word. The more of God's Word we take in, the more we are having truth in our mind, not the lies of the world, and able to think nobly and justly and purely and so on about things in the world, even things that are not godly, because you can think about ungodly things that are true, but not noble, and so on. In our third study, we learned this, making our thoughts as an active, intentional process of putting away sinful thinking and replacing it with God's thoughts. It only happens when we work at knowing, remembering, and intentionally thinking on God's Word. Does it take effort? Yes. Does it pay a great dividend? Yes. But that is the process In our fourth study, we learned that thoughts and behaviors happen in processes that must be slowed down in order to find the things that need to change. And in large part, what I'm going to attempt to do today from the Scripture is to give you one example of slowing down your thinking so you can grasp what God's thoughts should be. A guy named Dave Ross on the Cairo radio used to do a little bit called the News Read Real Slow. And he would read something that's some, you know, it's really quite monumental. And then he'd go, let's read that real slow. Because oftentimes things go right by us, right by us, right by us. And with our thinking processes or our thought processes, we assume they're automatic and locked in and can't really change. When the truth is we can change them, but we have to start at the beginning of the process, which is our response to the things in this world. And so today... Are you thinking what I'm thinking about trials? And the first thing that we need to understand is this. The difficulties of life are allowed by God. Let's read from James chapter 1, verses that should be familiar to many of you. James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. The first point that I am making here is assumed in what God has written. Is there anything that God wrote there in those verses we just read that would indicate to you that God is shocked and surprised when something difficult comes into your life? Is God up in heaven going, oh my, I didn't know that was going to happen. No, 
He knows what's going to happen. And he says to you, you should be aware that when trials come, I know what's going on. Proverbs 15.3 summarizes one of the characteristics of God. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Now, one of, the great, one of the great debates that people have about Christianity is how could a good God allow such things? Part of the answer is going to come today as we look at what God is trying to accomplish in the world. But before we begin that, I want you to think about different categories of things that fall under that word trial. You know, he uses the word various trials. There's all kinds of them. And some of them you are responsible for, and some of them you are not. So let's think about these reasons for the trials of life. The first reason, and these are not in any particular order other than the order I thought of them as I typed them up, is discipline. Hebrews chapter 12 says that if you don't walk with the Lord, that God is going to chastise you. Now, what is that going to look like? You know, God doesn't tell us exactly what chastising looks like, but later in the text, he uses the word pain. And so I have to assume that the chastisement of God is something unwelcome, painful, uncomfortable, uh, you know, uh, something that makes me feel uh, not good. Put your own words in there. Sometimes difficulty comes in our life because we've been living in sin. And God has allowed this difficulty, or according to Hebrews 12, he will cause difficulty. Now, there's a difference between God causing difficulty and God causing evil. See, one of our problems is we look at everything that happens in our life that we don't like, and we call it evil. That's evil. That's bad. That's wicked. God doesn't say so. Evil is when you choose to sin or somebody else chooses to sin. But God may allow certain things to happen in our life as a result of discipline. And so when we're tempted to ask the question, why, 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 as Nancy Kerrigan did, we should stop and say, maybe I have caused my own plight. Maybe that's the answer to the question, why. Number two, spiritual warfare. This goes in the exact opposite direction. If you read the book of Job, Job not only didn't deserve the trials he got, he was the... the uh, He was the trophy on the shelf of God. He was the most spiritual man in the world by God's estimation. And Satan came along and he said, if you let me at him, God, he will curse you. And God said, you think so? And so God said, okay, Satan, have at him. Now, to our American way of thinking, is that fair? No. Job didn't deserve that. That's right. And you may have some trials in your life that you don't deserve. You didn't do anything wrong, but God may allow it anyway because God is in the business of demonstrating his glory. And when that trial comes along and you look up to heaven and say, with Job, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will go. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Whatever you give me is just fine. God's up in heaven going, see Satan, I told you so. And I'm here to tell you, folks, that is one of the highest privileges of your life. But it doesn't fit with our whole idea of making everything comfortable. But God says he's at work there in spiritual warfare. Number three, personal sinful living. Now, this is different from discipline in this way. If you live in sin, you will probably, most likely, reap the results of sin, 
even without God coming in to discipline you. For instance, if you choose to drive down the road 100 miles an hour and the cop pulls you over and get you a t- gives you a ticket, don't look up to heaven and go, Why, God? Because God will look back down and go, You idiot. Did you see the speed limit sign? Okay. Um, you know, and that's a very innocuous kind of an example because we can all think of a lot of worse examples all the way up to people dying because of their foolish, sinful choice. Okay, And that's not God coming down and, and spanking somebody. That's somebody doing something stupid and their life gets ruined, brought into it because of their own choice. Number four, the depravity of the world. The word depravity means uh, sinfulness and uh, the idea that Everybody in the world is born with a sin nature. And because of that, the world does a lot of sinful things. And including the fact that the world will attack you for being righteous. And uh, those things are hard. People around you may take a notion to make your life hard. They may be in, you know, it may not be actively because you're a Christian. Maybe somehow the devil just moves in them and they come along and make it hard. I remember a kid in eighth grade, I went to this summer music program, and this kid just decided to make my life hard. I didn't know this kid. Every day he was harassing me until I grabbed him by the scruff of the shirt and put him up against the wall and said, stop harassing me. (laughs) Now, I didn't handle that right, but I don't know where that came from. That was a trial from God, and I didn't handle it right because I wasn't living for the Lord in eighth grade. But the world does that kind of stuff. Not only the depravity of the, of the world, but the corruption of the world. The common sin of our world, which began with Adam and Eve, results in sickness, which is often beyond our personal control. What I'm talking about here is this. The fact that sickness exists in the world is the result of the common sin of the world. As in, it's just there. We don't get sick every time we get sick because we did something wrong and God is disciplining us or because we didn't take care of our body or whatever. There are times when we just plain get sick because there's sickness in the world and we can't do anything about it. And the last thing is is testing, as in you may be completely righteous and God decides he is going to test you, not Satan. Um, John chapter 6, Jesus tested the disciples says that he did he knew what he was doing he did it on purpose and god will do that to you now here's the thing that i want you to understand about this list whether you bring on difficulty yourself or it comes from god or it comes from satan or it comes from the world no matter where it comes from once it's there it's one of these trials because god can work everything for good to them who are called by him. And so no matter why this thing came, in the coming out of it, we have to handle them all the same. Certainly, if if you bring your own sin on, it needs to start with confession. But even if you confess your sin, the results may linger, and it's a trial that has to be dealt with. So no matter how or why these things came upon you, be assured of this, God is aware of the things that come your way, and he allows them for your good and his. Thus, 
my first thought in any hardship must be, God has allowed this, God is at work. Not, oh shoot, cuss, swear, condemn things to hell. This is terrible, why me? It's always something. Right? No. God knows this is going on. Praise God. He's still in control. Surely I don't like it. Surely I don't want it. But God has not left me. God is not a fool. God has not done something wrong. God is in control. The difficulties of life are allowed by God. Thus, this must be my first thought. Now, do you remember what I said just a minute ago? Godly thoughts are only intentional thoughts. You will not think this thought by accident. Because what I just said is what we normally think when something bad happens. Oh, shoot. And as simple as it is, even if it's hitting your thumb with the hammer, if your first reaction is, that's terrible, let that instruct you. Let that instruct you that your thinking needs to change. Hey, God's at work. God's at work. This is not an accident. This is not, uh, you know, a mistake. God has allowed it. Number two, then, not only are the difficulties of life allowed by God, the difficulties of life are purposeful. Now, I readily understand, I gave you that list, and some of those things come for various reasons, but when it gets to the point of trial, look at verse 2 again, please. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God is not in heaven taking some perverse pleasure in your hardship. He calls hardship the testing of your faith. And in verse 4, he gives us the point of it all. It's your perfection. The best probably translation of that word is the word completion. Because the word in the Greek language means to be brought to its intended purpose. If we were talking about a piece of fruit... When the fruit is ready to eat, we say it's ripe, and that's one description. But the Greek would say that fruit is perfect, or that fruit has been perfected. We would say it is brought to its intended purpose. There it is. It's ready to be used. God says that he is in the process of bringing you to your intended purpose, being confident of this this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. That's our word, until the day of Christ Jesus. When you accept Christ as your Savior, when you believe in Him, you say, Christ died on the cross for me and I can't save myself and I put my faith in Him. When you do that, the penalty of your sin is forever taken away. That's why I sang that song today. What sin? It was gone the very minute you confessed. But between the moment of your conversion and the moment of seeing Christ face to face, there is some work to be done at maturing you. That's another word you could put in here in terms of perfection, maturing. God says you're not where you need to be yet. In Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul, the writer of Scripture, 
the guy in jail for his faith says, I'm pressing on to be like Christ. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. And that's where we live our Christian life. And here's what you have to understand if you never had. God's prime method of growing you up involves hardship. Thanks, God. Right? We wouldn't, we wouldn't draw the plan that way, would we? We'd make it by sitting in church and taking in a nice sermon and going away happy. And then we'd do everything perfect all week long. Well, for some reason, that doesn't work. And so God says, I'm going to give you a nudge. I'm going to give you a nudge every so often. And then every once in a while, I'm going to give you a giant kick in the seat of the pants. Because he wants us to become like Christ. And he knows that we have a tendency, when things are going good, to kind of walk along whistling like Andy like Andy Griffith, you know, at the beginning, dude, the life is great, I'm going fishing, no problems here today. And also no thoughts of God today. But when God brings trial and hardship, when he allows it to come, all of a sudden we're running to God. And we're saying, how can I bear this up? And he says, let me help you. And you know what? Over time we, we grow, we mature, we become stronger people. The difficulties of life are purposeful. What aspect of your salvation is still in process? Romans 8, 29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So the question would be, are you just like Jesus right now? No, none of us are. And so this is your destiny, is to be like Christ, and God is at work in that process. Your salvation is securely accomplished. You're not going to get more saved, but you are going to get more godly as the days go by. These verses in James are very similar to Romans 5. Not only that, but we glory in tribulations. When was the last time you gloried in a trial? Whoa, glory! That's what the Apostle Paul said. We glory in tribulations. Why? Because we know that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint, he says in verse 5. So the Apostle Paul says, look, I glory in tribulations because it makes me grow up. If if I asked you this question, and don't raise your hand. But if I said, how many of you want to be more like Christ this week? And I had you raise your hand. Most of you would raise your hand. Some of you because of social pressure. The rest of you would mean it. And then I said, keep your hand up. Now, how many of you want to be more like Christ if it takes a trial? And if you're really honest, some of you put your hand down. Okay, and frankly, there are some days of the week that I put my hand down. But God has said, look... The only way this is going to happen is if I allow some difficulty into your life. So my second thought in trials should be this. God is at work. I wonder what he wants me to learn. Not I wonder why did this come on me. I, he wants me to learn something. He wants me to grow. 
So I wonder what he wants me to learn. I wonder how he wants me to grow up. So instead of looking around bitter and angry that something hard has come, we start looking around going, what is I'm supposed to learn here? I wonder what it is. And we start looking with our godly eyes and pretty soon we can see things. And all of a sudden our trials begin to be purposeful. There's nothing more debilitating than the lack of hope which comes from a random life. When we think, why do these things happen? I don't know why they're happening. And then we get discouraged. The difficulties of life are purposeful. They're allowed by God. And they must be handled in God's way. I know you're going to laugh at my alliterated elocution, but I hope the simplicity sticks with you, and I hope you can see how godly it is and how biblical it is when I say this. What God wants you to do in a trial is to stay, pray, and obey. In fact, we could even put it in a different order as I've thought about it more since the notes were finished earlier. We could say stay, obey, and pray, but no matter all three of those. The first one is stay. God's desire you is to stay, pray, and obey. First of all, stay. Let the trial press on you. Would you look with me at verse 3? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. There are two words for patience in the New Testament. One of them literally means to be long-tempered, macrothumia, to have a long temper. In other words, not to get too excited too soon. That's not this word. This word means to endure, to stay, literally to stay under something. Um, I think you can all relate to this kind of wording. I'm really being pressed. I feel a lot of stress. There's a lot of pressure in my life. Well, I got good news and bad news. The bad news is you've got to stay there. The good news is what God wants to do by pressing you is to make you more godly. We've got to stay put. Now, maybe you can understand what it means to stay put if I define the opposite. What does our flesh want to do? The first thing our flesh wants to do in a trial is it wants to replace the circumstance. A hard marriage makes you want to find an easier spouse. Our flesh says, I'm going to replace this. Our flesh says, a demanding boss makes me want to find one that's gracious. If I get a gracious boss, then everything will be wonderful at work. The, the fleshly desire to replace makes me go through the loss of a special relationship and it makes me want to grab the next person who comes along to fill the void, regardless of who they are or what they are. Our flesh wants to replace things. Secondly, our flesh wants to withdraw. Sometimes, instead of running into a new relationship when the old one is gone or is bad, People like to retreat from everybody. I'm just going to get away by myself way back here in the corner and I'm, I'm just going to sleep 18 hours a day. And not only that, but I'm going to put my fingers in my ear and go, la, 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 I can't hear you, can't see you, you won't harm me, you won't bother me. And we laugh, but it isn't funny. 
people run away. When work is hard, I, I, I know someone, not here, far away, who was a young person who did not know perseverance, and they're working, literally they're, they're checking at a, at a hardware store, and some customer gave them some guff. They took off their vest and walked out the door. Done. <laughs> yeah. Our flesh likes to withdraw. When the work is hard, you quit and you stay home all day. Third thing our flesh likes to do is it likes to escape. When the boss is hard on you at work, you dream of getting a couple of six-packs and getting into some bliss when you get home. Oh, man, I can't wait to get home. Vacations are a wonderful thing, but if the whole purpose of vacation is to escape your reality, which you are not dealing with in a godly way, that's not a godly vacation. When marriage is challenging, you run for a substance that makes you forget reality. When your kids are hard to handle, a trip to the mall to buy some new clothes will lift your spirits. When the bills pile up too high, a visit to an X-rated website makes you feel better for a while. It's all escapism. You can fill in the blank with whatever the thing is or the person is, but it's escapism. And God says, no, stay put. Let this thing press on you. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's pressure. But when you're there, God is at work because that's what he wants you to do. And and, and secondly, he says, pray. Look at verse 5. If you lack wisdom, in other words, if you don't know how to do this, ask God. Our problem with our prayers is, you know how we pray? We pray that. Oh, God, replace this person. Oh, God, help me to escape. Oh, God, do this, do this. And God's up in heaven going, Hello, did you read James chapter 1? Because what he says, what I want to do is I want to give you wisdom as to how to stay put. And the wisdom for staying put, the wisdom for working through the struggle is the obeying of God's commands. So I say, okay, here I am. It's pressing. It's hard. Now, how do I act? Here's how I act. Whatever God tells me. The way I stay is by doing what God calls me to do, not what my flesh calls me to do, even if I don't understand or agree. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, please. The remainder of this message is going to be a giant example from the life of Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I've, I've challenged you in the, uh, in the notes for application there in the sermon to, uh, to read this chapter in chapter 12 at some length. Read it a few times as you would seek to apply this truth to your life. I want you to consider some of the trials that the Apostle Paul faced and how he responded to them. Part of the purpose of the whole book of 2 Corinthians, if you don't know, is that Paul was defending himself as an apostle in an effort to protect the Corinthians from false teachers. See, the false teachers came along, and what they did was said, Paul's nothing. Look at him. He's, 
He's a short little guy that can't see too good, and he's not too fancy when he speaks, and, and look at us. And, and Paul was concerned about them because they were in danger of being drawn away into heresy. And so they tried to get the Corinthians, and let's pick up the story here at chapter 11, verse 1. Oh, that you would bear with me a little while, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. And so what we see here is that the first trial he suffered is the trial of personal rejection. These people went, they said, you know, you can't speak good, you have untrained speech and and so on, and And they made fun of him and they rejected him because of what they were being fed by the false teachers. How hurtful is it to pour your life into another life and have them turn around and reject you? And how does Paul respond to this trial, this personal affront? He keeps on fighting for their spiritual survival. Look at verse 11. Why? Because I do not love you, God knows. But what I do, I will continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things in which we boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Here's the thing that you've got to get a hold to. The Apostle Paul was severely rejected and criticized. And did he withdraw? Did he get high? Did he say, well, I'm done with those Corinthians. By golly, I'm going to Ephesus. No, he hangs right in there, stays under that pressure, and he keeps doing what God wanted him to do. What's the next trial that Paul speaks about? Look at verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths, in death situations more often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils of false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in thirst, in fastings, in cold, and nakedness. It sounds like an episode of 24. Some of you will get that someday. This guy went through hell on earth. I mean, shipwrecked once? Wow. Shipwrecked three times? Beaten? Left for dead? Second trial was persecution of the most extreme kind. 
Have you ever been persecuted even close to that? I sure haven't. Wow. And Paul had this extreme trial. Now think of it this way, folks, because you will be able to relate to this. Paul gave his whole life to serving Christ, and what did he get? A beating. You ever feel like God hasn't been holding up his end of the stick? Come on, God, look what I did. I did this and this and this and this and this, and I've been patient. Da, 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 da. Come on. Well, the Apostle Paul had that times 100. Wow. But it goes on. Dare I say it gets worse? Look at verse 28. Or verse 20, yeah, verse 28. Besides the other things, besides all those physical persecutions, what comes upon me daily? Here's the thing, maybe that was even heavier than those physical things. My deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? The third trial that he suffered was spiritual parenthood. I suppose you could drop the word spiritual and just say parenthood as a trial. And I'm not saying that having children is a burden. Love my kids. They're a great blessing. But when you pour yourself into somebody, there may be sleepless nights. There may be a lot of concern and a lot of burden, and even more so when it's spiritual parenthood. And as if... Those things weren't enough. Go to chapter 12, please. It's doubtless not profitable for me to boast. Again, the context is one of defending himself. But I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. That's the very presence of God. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and he heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But, if, but I refrain, lest someone should think of me above what he sees me or hears me to be. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted or swelled up with pride. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that he might take it from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Here's Paul's response. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches, in needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow. The fourth trial was physical difficulty brought on by God. Yes, it was a messenger of Satan, but God said, Satan, you can have at him. God took down the fence a little bit so that Satan could come in and buffet him. Why? Because God knew with all of the stuff he had allowed Paul to see in heaven that there would be a temptation to pride. And so Paul, for the rest of his life, struggled with some kind of physical difficulty that caused him to keep going, God, I need your help today. 
And it kept him humble before the Lord. Here's what we've got to learn from Paul's example. Paul viewed his physical trial as something that was accomplishing God's maturity in his life. Now, the real battle is this, folks. Do you want to be mature in Christ or not? Because frankly, a lot of Christians really don't want that. They want to dabble in Christianity, put their toe in the water. God says, look, if you have accepted me, I'm going to grow you up. And so I would just encourage you, stop fighting. Stop fighting it. God, if God's trying to grow you up, just go along. Just go along. That's what the Apostle Paul did. In fact, look what he said here in, in 2 Corinthians earlier in the book. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Even though our outward man, our physical man, our body is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction. Did you read the stuff he went through? Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look or focus our thoughts on the things which are seen, the physical world, but we focus our thoughts on the unseen things, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The Apostle Paul said, I'm going to focus on God, on my maturing in Christ, on what he's doing, on my eternity with him. I'm not going to focus on the deficiencies of my body. You can meditate on the deficiency of your body and go right into depression. Because your body is wearing out if you hadn't noticed. In fact, that's the first reason some people start to get depressed. When they start to notice it's wearing out. Apostle Paul said, I don't look here, I look there. He chose to focus his thinking, and that's how he stayed and prayed and obeyed. A couple of weeks ago, I noticed that one of my tires seemed to be a lot less full of air than the other tires. I checked it, and sure enough, it was significantly low, and so I filled it up. And, you know, usually that doesn't happen without a reason. Once in a while... And so I kept checking it next couple of days, looking at it, ah, look fine, look fine. This week, a couple of days ago, I'm driving down the road, and the car's going like this, you know. I thought, oh, shoot, I'm going to have to get an alignment, you know. The car's only a year old to me, and I've got to have to start working on it. But I had seen something on the tire that looked like a little nail, and so I took it down to Les Schwab, and sure enough, it had a little nail, and they pulled it out and fixed it, and, and uh, the car's driving straight down the road again. Folks, the way you think about trials might seem like a small thing, like that nail in my tire. But I'm here to tell you, if I don't fix that nail in my tire, it can go all the way to causing me to have a wreck. Isn't that right? Blows out, you drive off the road, you roll the car, and then you've got to buy another one. Folks, how you think about this area of your life is, gonna, is critically, vitally important. I want to challenge you today to get a hold of this truth from God and, and start working more and more at staying, praying, and obeying. Heavenly Father, make your truth live to us today. These things are, are not so hard to speak, but they are hard to live. They're not hard to understand, but they're hard to agree with and to go along with. And so I pray that you would do all of that. Give us understanding. Give us agreement or belief. And give us 
a knowledge of your presence as we work these things out day by day. I pray in Christ's name, amen.